Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Jack Daly. He's an expert in sales and sales management and the best-selling author of Hyper Sales Growth. So Jack, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. You betcha, Tats, it's a pleasure. So Jack, you're a legend. You've written some amazing books. You've proved yourself over six companies and, and a bunch of others that you've mentored. How did, how did it all start for you? Well, man, if we go that far back, we're going to be a long time, but let's do it this way. So I started selling at the age of seven years old uh. and I owned the market and charged twice the price of every kid I competed with. So right then I knew, hey, sales is my stick, right? Well, then I got to be 12 and I took a newspaper route from some kid that had 32 customers. And a year later, I grew it to 275 customers and I hated delivering the papers. It was awful. So I hired five kids to deliver the papers for me and I kept 70% of the money. And that's when I knew, hey, I want to be a business owner someday. Now, this is really a cool story, Tats. I was a caddy at 13 years old yeah. because I had these kids deliver my papers. So I had time on my hands. So I go to this private country club and I'm caddying for these guys. They're playing golf during the week and they're driving nice cars and they're living in good communities. And I'm, I'm the oldest of five kids. And, you know, I have a brother that's three years younger than I am. And the whole time, I don't think he ever had new clothes because he always had hand-me-downs for me. <laughs> so the family I grew up in was poor relative to these guys. And I'm caddying and I'm saying, gosh, if I had a choice, I'd rather be their life than the life that my dad and our, we're leading. So I'm going to interview them. So we spent four hours, four and a half hours around the golf course. And I just asked them questions like, how did you become so successful? What would you do different? What would you tell a 13-year-old? And I did that with 200 different people in uh, my 13th year. And I heard a lot of common things. And one of them was, you got to have goals. Don't pick too many. Put them in writing. Put a date when you're going to get them done. And share them with as many people as possible because that'll put the pressure on you. And so I built a plan to take me from 13 to when I was going to be like really old, like 30. Yeah. Because at 13, 30 sounded like really far away. By the way, I'm 72 now and 30 sounds really far away. <laughs> but there were four goals, financial goals. What am I going to look like at 30 financially? How much money am I going to make annually? What's my net worth going to be? Then I said, what do I want to look like professionally? Then I said, what do I want to look like education-wise? And then what's my family going to look like at 30? And now I had my true north. I had where I wanted to go. And once you have an understanding where you want to go, then it's just a matter of tying in where it is that you want to go and where you are now and make it as linear, as straight a line as you possibly can. And so I followed that game plan along. And quite frankly, here I am today, and I'm still doing that process. I still sit down and do that. I've got my goal. I know where I'm headed. And I just methodically make the moves accordingly. Yeah, that's wonderful. So. 
you had obviously a gift because not everyone does that at seven and does all those things. So if you run across companies that have small sales teams and are growing, how do you advise them? Because you're about growth. You've grown massive sales team. And I'm assuming along the path of growing a sales team, there's all sorts of mistakes and hurdles that come up. What are some of those things that you've identified working with so many people? Yeah, so it's a great question. And you're well aware that when I became an adult between 26 and 46, I had six startups and all six of those companies went nationwide in the USA. Very, very fast growing companies. I live in Southern California, but I grew up in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. And when I moved here, just as an example, I didn't know anyone. I brought three people with me and the four of us in 18 months had scaled to 750 employees in 22 locations in the United States. And in our first three years, we made $42 million in earnings. And I had that opportunity to do that a half a dozen times. For the last 25 years, I've been teaching companies how to scale, how to do that. And my best-selling book is called Hyper Sales Growth that tells people how to go about doing that. But here, here in, in direct answer to your question is this, and I'll give you just a couple takeaways. One is, no matter how good you are as a salesperson, you have a giant hurdle. And that is this right here. That's so many hours in the day. There's always so many calls you can make. There's only so many calls you can take. There's only so many orders you can write. And so in most businesses, if you want to grow your sales, grow your sales force in quantity and quality. And if you grow your sales force in quantity and quality, they in turn will grow your sales. So why don't most companies grow at this, what I call hyper sales growth pace? And one of the reasons is what I call guilty of committing one or more of what I say are the three sins of sales management. You see, the sales manager, whoever's in charge of the sales force is responsible for that growth. Well, one sin I see committed is the entrepreneur business owner is also wearing the hat at the same time of the sales manager. Now, if you are wearing both hats, when you're doing one job, you're not doing the other. So when you're doing the owner CEO job, you're not growing the company because the growing of the company is grow your sales force in quantity and quality, and that's the hat of the sales manager. So, and I run into a lot of small business owners that say, well, I plan on getting that person full-time when we get bigger and can afford it, but that's the person who gets you bigger, right? And so if you hire the right person and you pay them correctly, they should pay for themselves in less than a year with the increased business that's coming in. So there's no excuse not to go there if that's what you want is to grow your company. The second sin of the three that I see committed is we often take the best salesperson that we have and make them the sales manager. And it seems very natural, except that the skill sets are entirely different. One person, the salesperson, is responsible for winning new customers and growing the ones you have. The sales manager is all about recruiting, training, coaching, building, and developing out a sales force. And very often what we do is we shake the hand of the best salesperson and say, congratulations, you're the sales manager. Good luck. And we leave them. And they're like <laughs> deer in a headlight. They don't know what to do. And they eventually miss selling. So what happens is they go look for a new job with a competitor. They quit you. They go back to selling. And now look at what you've done. 
You've lost your best salesperson and you have no sales manager. So that's the second sin. And by the way, when I share these sins with my audiences, people are just howling and laughing because they're going, holy crap, this is what we're doing. (laughs) And so the third sin is the worst of all, I think. And that's where you take the best salesperson, you make them the sales manager and say, continue with your book of business and continue to sell. Because now the person's conflicted. If they became the best salesperson that year, we should not reward them because they spent all their time doing that at the expense of growing the company. So if you're serious about wanting to grow your business, get serious about the role of sales management. Now, one last item in in terms of kind of what I call mistakes made, and that is that each salesperson in the organization is selling their own way. It makes absolute no sense. And I'll, I'll polarize it to make the point. The largest sales force I had in one of my companies was 2,600 salespeople. And we operated out of over 100 locations. Each time I would visit a location, I had a same message to them. There aren't 2,600 best ways to sell this stuff. So what do you say we figure out the best way, build the systems and processes, practice the systems and processes, and I bet you we beat the pants off of all of our competitors. And so the thing that we really encourage organizations to do is build what we call a sales playbook, the systems and processes of best practices in your company and in your industry. And then once you've got the playbook, practice the playbook. You see, sports teams are run better than most businesses. There isn't a coach in any sport at any level that would put their players on the field without a playbook and without proper preparation, training, and practice. Yeah, absolutely. I love those sins. And dive deeper into the sales management role. What are the characteristics of a great sales manager? Oh, man, that's a great question, Tad. So the great sales manager is someone that really enjoys helping people develop, watching people grow, teaching them, coaching them to a level of excellence. I want to take salespeople when I'm a sales manager. I want to take salespeople and find out what is their ambition? What is their true north? Where do they want to go? Now, if a guy is doing, and let's just pick some numbers at random, if a salesperson is doing a half a million dollars a year in business, and that person says, what I'd like to do is I'd like to do three quarters of a million each year in business. Well, I then might challenge him and say, so if I could teach you to do two million a year in business, you wouldn't be interested in that? Now, if the guy says, no, I'm good at three quarters of a million, I'm a little bit sketchy on that individual, right? Because the more they produce, the more income they make, and I'm not sure that they're hungry enough. But when the guy says, well, heck yeah, I'd like to do two million. Now I've got somebody that I can really help to grow. And now we're going to really pop the lid and we're really going to go after it. And to see people take the shackles off, take the lid off and go to another level, there's nothing better in my life than that. I could cut the biggest sales deal, but I've grown way beyond that now. That doesn't ring my joy button. What rings my joy button is watching other people go to another level. And now if I could do that with, instead of one salesperson, if I could do that with five or with 10 or 20, now it really becomes exciting stuff. So I've got one side of me that's saying, watch individuals grow. 
I have a I have a salesperson that I'm thinking of right now in Australia, and he came up to me two years ago on the stage. There were about 500 people in the audience. We took our break at 10 a.m. He came up, he shook my hand, he said, Jack, I just want to thank you and tell you this is the fourth year in a row I've come to your workshop, but I'm going to tell you I'm going to come here every year, and I'll tell you why, mate. He said, four years ago, I made $67,000 a year as a commission salesperson, no salary. And I went to your session and I went, holy crap, this is some good stuff. And I took three or four things out and I implemented them. I more than doubled my income that year. So I said, I'll go back to Jack Daly's workshop. He went into the workshop. He did it again and doubled his income. And then he goes to me, hey, give me a high five, would you? I made more than a million dollars last year in commission income. And I, I walked away at that break on, man, I am absolutely making a difference. That's what you get up in the morning for. So if you can find a sales manager, if you find a person that gets their joy out of building people, that's one of the jewels. And then the other thing is I am playing to the shareholder if I'm publicly traded, right? And so I want to show them a great return. And the way I'll show them a great return is by building individual salespeople into giants. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So... And you may have answered this in kind of a indirect way, but how do you attract, from an organization standpoint, how do you attract the best salespeople to your organization? Well, I hear it all the time. Companies and business owners, sales managers, oh gosh, really hard to find salespeople, really hard to find salespeople. That's one complaint I hear. The other complaint I hear is, oh, how do you motivate salespeople? How do you motivate salespeople? Those are the two thing belly acres that are out there, right? <laughs> well, the first thing is on the first question, how do you find them? Well, I say, are you looking? And they go, yeah. And I go, great, show me the list. And they look at me dumbfounded, like what list? And I'm like, well, if you don't have a list, you're not really looking. You have to assemble a list. You have to build a profile. What are the attributes and personal characteristics of what makes a great salesperson. That's the first thing. You can't find it if you don't know what it is. So you have to define it. You cannot find it until you define it. Once you've got that profile, one page bullet points of all the personal attributes and characteristics, and an awful lot of it has nothing to do with the industry. It has to do with their personal things. It has to do with their passion. It has to do with their hunger. It has to do with their conviction. It has to do with their grit and their work ethic and their money hungry and those types of things. And once I've got that, I'll teach them the business. Then give that out to everybody out in the community and say, I'm looking for people that look like this and do your networking and, and network like crazy. Pay bonuses to people inside your company to help you find people that they know look like their profile. It could be their neighbor. It could be a family member. It could be somebody they do sport with. But you have to be proactive. You can't just say, hey, I'm, all, I'm, I'm looking for good salespeople and sit at your desk and go, but I can't find them. <laughs> they ain't under the desk. They're not behind the door. Get the hell out and look for them. They are out there, right? So we've got to nurture that. So that's that. And by the way, it's a great thing to think. Sports teams are run better than most businesses. Look at how great performing coaches and great performing teams operate. You ask me, hey, how many, how many people do you think are on Coach K at Duke's basketball? How many, how many are in his recruiting list? He's got hundreds of kids that he's recruiting all at the same time. 
I go to my audiences and say to a sales manager, do you have a list? And I say, you need a list of at least a dozen people. And they go, oh, 12 people. Oh, my God, it's huge. 12. It's, it's <laughs> minuscule. Come on, give me a break. So you've got to have a list. And that's how you go after it with the profile with the list. Now, let me address the question about the, the motivation. How do you motivate salespeople? Well, here's the easiest way. Hire them that way. Is there any question after spending a few minutes with me as to whether you have to motivate me? Hell, I came running out of the womb motivated. And so hire people that are jacked up and excited to be there and want to go out and kick ass and take names and do the biz. That's it. And so you have to interview people to make sure that they've got the right stuff. I don't know whether you've ever seen the, the movie Rudy about the kid that wasn't smart enough to get into Notre Dame, wasn't big enough to play football, but it's a real story and he really did it. And so I tell sales managers all the time, you want to be successful? Hire Rudy. Can you imagine if you had a team of salespeople that were all Rudy's and there was a playbook of systems and processes and best practices? Game, set, match, we're done. That would be it. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love your sports analogies. I sort of come from a bit of a sporting background, but your background with Ironmans. Tell me about that. That's pretty impressive. Well, in the early 80s, there was a woman who actually, she now is in the Ironman Hall of Fame. She's legendary. I mean, if anybody tuning in here were to uh, check out on YouTube, Julie Moss Ironman. This woman was winning the world championship Ironman in the early 80s. And with 100 yards to go, her legs gave out and she ended up crawling across the finish line in second place. And I watched that and I just said, holy mackerel, what humans can do? I wonder if I could do that. And then the more I spent time on that, that day, I'm like, what do you mean wonder if you could do it? Put it on your bucket list and do it. But I was, I had small kids at the time. I didn't want to rob time from them. I was leading a company with hundreds of employees. I didn't want to rob time from them. So what I said is, I'm going to put a placemat here and I'm going to come back later in life and I'm going to do this Ironman business. Well, once my companies were sold and my kids were well on their way or out of the house, then I said, let's take this sucker on. That was when I was 58 years old. But when I was 58 years old, it dawned on me, the Ironman starts with a 2.4 mile swim on the clock and I don't know how to swim. And so I hired a coach. I practiced like a madman and I did my first Ironman at 58 years old. And between 58 and 66, I completed 15 full Ironmans and about 70 triathlons, including the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. And it's, you know, it's all about hiring a coach, getting the systems and processes, practice the systems and processes, having the grit and understanding what true north is. What do you want to get done? And what I wanted to do was run down Ali Drive in Kona, Hawaii, and have thousands of people on either side of me cheering me. And the voice of Iron Man, Mike Riley, saying, Jack Daly, you are an Iron Man. And that is enough to stimulate me to take the actions necessary to go across the finish line. Wonderful. Yeah, I heard you talk about that woman that, that crawled to the finish line. So I had to watch. So I watched the video. It was amazing. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, 
you have this, you had your caddying from the early days and you had the interview stuff, which is ahead of your time because everyone's doing podcasts now, but you were doing it before all this stuff. Tell me about your drive to play at all these golf courses. I see that in your profile. What's that? Yeah. So I was a caddy and on Mondays at the club, they would close the course for maintenance, but that was caddy day and you could actually play the golf course. And so that's when I started playing golf. And, and so I'm playing golf. I'm not very good. And then as I became an adult, a guy gave me a coffee table book for a Christmas present. Uh. And it, it was the top hundred golf courses in America. And it had the list of the hundred and, and the pictures. Every golf course had about four pages to it. And I'm like, man, that's really cool. And I had been doing a bucket list since I was in my 20s. And so I said, heck, I'm going to put that on my bucket list. I'm going to play the top 100 golf courses. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, which ones are am I in the area of? I do a lot of traveling. And wh- which ones can I make a side trip on? And I started doing all that. I actually now have 95 of the top 100 wow. golf courses completed. And it's been just a blast. And I got to add this on to you, Tap, because this is just so cool. I started running marathons. My first marathon was when I was 46 years old. And it was actually in Portland, Oregon. And, and my wife and I ran it together. Now, we didn't run side by side. She was slower than I was. But we ran, and, and it was both our first marathon. Yeah. And Bonnie, when she finished, said, I'm glad I did it. I'm proud that I did it. And I have no idea why anybody would ever do that again. (laughs) Well, I'm not as smart as her. So I ran more. And in my first 10 years of running marathons, between 46 and 56 years old, I had run 10 marathons, nine of them in California and one in Oregon. And I would run one a year. And it was just a good thing to keep fit. In LA, I was running my fourth marathon. It was my 10th marathon, but the fourth one in LA. And a guy passed me with a shirt on the back. It said, I ran a marathon in all 50 states. I'm like, hot damn. So I caught back up with him and I had a conversation and he said, yeah, there's a club on the internet called the 50 state club. You ought to check it out. So I go home and I look it up and damn it, there isn't the 50 state club. So I'm like, well, I got to put that on my bucket list too. So here's, here's the coolest thing. So by the way, just coincidentally, I have 95 marathons done. I've done one in all 50 states and one in all the continents. I plan on getting the top 100 golf courses done. I plan on going to at least 100 marathons. The pandemic has gotten in the way of both of those. I, expe- I expected to have them done last year. I had them all scheduled out and everything. But the cool thing is, is that as a speaker, I travel extensively before there was a pandemic, right? So what we would do is we would try to find a speaking gig on a Friday or a Monday. So let's just say Friday. The client would pay for me to go to Michigan. Now, when I got to Michigan, we would notice that there was a golf course on the top 100 on Saturday that I could play. And there was a marathon nearby that I could (laughs) run on Sunday. So we called it the trifecta of my life. We spoke on Friday, we golfed on Saturday, we ran the marathon on Sunday and flew home on Sunday or Monday. And the client paid for me to get there and back. And so I'm moving through the list of the golf courses, moving through the list of the marathons and doing my speaking gig. This is, this is like multitasking like nobody's ever done. 
That's awesome. Okay, tell me which ones you need, all right? When we post this, right, you, you may have already done those. So where are the locations? Well, here's the deal. Every two years, they refresh the list. Uh, so 5, 10, 15 golf courses come off. 5, 10, 15 golf courses come on. So the deck now, because I started this over 10 years ago, the deck is probably, I'm playing from about 200. So I just need five out of another hundred or so that have come on the list. Got uh, it. It's, it's, I'm not playing to the original book. And one of the reasons I'm not playing to the book that was given to me that day is some of them fall off because some of them go and become private and I'm playing the playable golf courses, right? So, and some of the golf courses, quite frankly, they dig them up and they're, and they're disappear, like they're gone. Even World League golf courses. Um, Steve Wynn, right on the Las Vegas Strip, had one of the top 100 golf courses and they decided that the property was too valuable for a golf course. So they blew it up. So they, they go away on you. So I, I just need five. I'm probably going to get them in, uh, in the Carolinas as soon as this pandemic's behind us. Awesome. That's awesome. I love that lifestyle design aspect. Now, we talked a bit about sales. We talked about your passion. Is there anything I didn't cover that you, you wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, it depends on which way you want to go. So one way to go is on the personal side of life. And so I would encourage I would encourage people to go onto my website at jackdailysales.com and daily is D-A-L-Y, jackdailysales.com. And you're going to find a whole lot of free stuff to help you with your business and stuff like that. But I also post a lot of stuff about my personal life. Take a look at my bucket list. There's over 300 items on my bucket list and people come out of the woodwork to help me achieve things on my bucket list. So if you give me the opportunity, which you did to open up that door, I'm going there, man. So here's the thing. What's on my bucket list that I haven't done because maybe somebody could help me and I'll show you how that works. Yeah. A guy went to my website, he looked at my bucket list and he saw that I wanted to fly a jet fighter plane. And so he said, is that still open? Do you still need to get that done? And I said, yeah. And he sent me an email with a picture of a jet fighter plane from the U.S. Air Force that he bought. And he said, I own this. Would this qualify? I'm like, yeah. And literally, we just coordinated our schedules. He flew into L.A. He taxied up to me. He got out of the cabin. He, hit, he put me a helmet on me. He put me behind him. We took off and he did barrel rolls and 360s and all this crazy stuff. And then through the mic, he said, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? And he said, ready to fly it. And he gave me the controls and I flew a jet fighter plane, right? So here's a couple things on my bucket list that aren't done. Okay. I want to carry the torch in the Olympics. Mm. So you know how they, they, they do every 10th of a mile from where the last Olympics is to the next Olympics and they give a handoff of the torch. Yeah. I want to do that one tenth of a mile stretch on the Olympics and carry the torch. Here's another one. I want to meet any president of the United States in the Oval Office. I also want to fly on Air Force One. And by the way, I've got initiatives going on on all of those right now. And so I've got people working behind the scenes on all three of those things. I suspect if I'm going to get that Oval Office done, it'll be with the same guy that's going to put me on Air Force One as a president. But we're going we're gonna to work that deal somehow, some way. That's just been my nature. Put it on the bucket list broadcast it out. Let's see, see what happens. The other thing that I would tell you, shift the, shift the attention from personal, go back over to the business side. And on the business side, what I would tell you is that an awful lot of business owners miss this. And that is 
Focus on the culture of the company. Create an environment in your company where people bounce out of bed in the morning and say, hoorah, I get to work at that company. And by the way, don't, don't take the out and say, well, in the pandemic, there's not much we can do. That's horseshit, okay? I mean, that is complete nonsense. There's plenty to do from a culture standpoint. And so there's four legs to a strong culture. One is recognition systems. And if there's ever been a time, I will tell you, people are dying for recognition during this pandemic. Just because they're working out of home doesn't mean they don't have an appetite for it. Find a way to recognize people. Second, communication systems. What are your systems to regularly ongoing communicate with your people in a proactive way? Again, in the pandemic, even more important. But I've been talking about this for two decades, how important this is. Third, personal and professional development processes. Personal and professional development processes. Why should somebody come to work at your company to begin with? And once they're there, why should they stay? What's in it for them? And don't miss the personal, not the professional development. Don't miss the personal development. I'll give you an example. Every one of my employees, when I had companies, I said, let's build yourself a bucket list. Let's get a bucket list together so that if I had everybody's bucket list, I could get up every morning and look at my employees' bucket list and say, whose bucket list item could I make come true today? And so that would be really cool. And then the fourth leg to the strong culture of the four legs is empowerment processes, giving people the authority to make decisions. The world as we know it today is an immediate gratification world. People want answers now. They don't want to hear, I'll have to get permission from somebody. I have to go back to home office. I got to talk to my boss. If you don't trust your people, get new people, but cut them loose and let them make decisions. You put those four legs together and man, I tell you, things really happen in a very, very positive way. Makes recruiting easier, makes retention of people easier, makes people's work ethic blossom. A guy like me, I'm already motivated. I just need to be put into an environment that unleashes my motivation, right? And so that's the key. Drucker, Peter Drucker said it better than anybody. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. You, you get the culture right. Everything else that goes on in your company gets easier. If you don't get the culture right, everything is a slog. It's hard. And so focus on that culture. Wonderful, Jack. Thank you for dropping so much value. I'm sure the audience appreciates it. Now go to Jack's website, go download the resources, go check out his bucket list, see if you can help. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Your energy is contagious. I'm pumped up. Thank you again, Jack. Absolutely. My pleasure. Stay healthy. Jay, thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.